The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I am out of the studio this week, as you can probably tell from the difference in recording. I'm using my portable studio setup because I'm not in the Miami studio as we speak. I am in Breckenridge, Colorado this weekend because my cousin's getting married. We're having a little ski weekend for him. We had a bunch of Miamians in Colorado this weekend for skiing. It was an experience, to say the least. How did we do? How did we do on the slopes? Well, about as well as you can imagine a bunch of Miamians going skiing would do. We fell all over the place. We crashed a lot. Uh, We had a lot of trouble on the mountain. There were eight-year-olds passing us on the mountain, you know, seeing us, you know, as a crumpled heap on the snow and saying, are you okay, mister? Um, But we survived. Uh, The mountain beat us, and it beat us bad. Um, But luckily, it beat everyone in my bachelor party group here so bad that they're all taking an afternoon nap right now uh, just to sort of rest themselves because they're so beaten up. And it gave me the chance to do a quick recording right here in the portable studio to let you all know what segments we're going to be hearing in this week's episode. Uh, The other two segments that you're going to be hearing after this one right now, we're done in the Miami studio with my co-host Dave, so it'll be back to what you normally expect. But before we lay those things out, um, let's talk a little bit about the podcast generally. If you want to ask some show questions to us, if you want to propose some topics for us to discuss on the show, or if you just want to say hi, uh, give us some show critique, criticism, whatever you want, you can email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan, K-A-I-R. You can follow my fantastic co-host, David, at D-K-A-Y-E-1027. And now uh, you have a new social media tool at your disposal to get closer to the things we're doing here at Break the Business. Break the Business has a Facebook page. So you can like Break the Business on Facebook. Just go right to Facebook, search Break the Business. And so if you're a Facebook kind of person, if that's your world, if that's the way you want to do things, we're meeting you halfway. We created a Facebook page. So you can come and say hi to us there and we'll have all the same news developments and maybe a few extra little Facebook things here and there to keep it interesting for you. Um, If you'd like to help us out, same thing I tell you guys every week, be sure to subscribe and review us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Those things really help you move up in the world on those particular pages. Uh, And of course, as always, tell a friend. I know it might not seem like much, but if you have a artist or a friend of an artist or somebody who's interested in knowing how to move music careers forward, um, tell them about us. You know, tell us about tell them about the Break the Business podcast. Those kind of little word of mouth things are what always make the biggest podcasts what they are. So yeah, tell a friend. Uh, coming up in the next segment, which again, as we said before, we did in the main studio with my co-host Dave. We have one of our favorite guests coming on, Mary Amber. Uh, We love her every time she's here. Uh, You guys love her every time she's here because not only is she a great artist, not only does she run her career so well, she does so many things 
fantastically. And so artists can learn a lot from her. But she's also just a cool person to talk to. She loves popular culture. We can talk to her about a wide variety of pop culture things. And she's always right there to give us great insight. And shoot, frankly, if she didn't live so far away, if she wasn't all the way in Australia and maybe was a little closer to our neck of the woods in Miami, I'd probably have her on every week as a co-host because she just fits right in with what Dave and I do so well. So anyway, Mary Amber's coming on. We're going to have her talk about her new album, Retro Sherbert, which is a album inspired by probably my favorite decade, the 90s. And every single one of her songs is about something about the 90s, uh, Tamagotchi, Xena Warrior Princess, things like that. It's a great, great album. It's fun to listen to. So we're going to talk to her about the album. We're going to get some great tips from her about blogging and using playlists and how her recording process works because there's a lot of great stuff in there for indie artists to hear. And after she gives us that insight, we have a special surprise. Mary's going to stick around with us for one more segment. We're going to have some fun uh, do a cute, interesting, funny segment in that final segment of the show. We've never had a guest stay on for the third segment before, but for Mary Amber, we made a special exception because we love having her on the show so much. So all that's coming up in this week's episode. Thank you very much for downloading it, and uh, we appreciate having the opportunity to entertain and inform you. Uh, thanks very much for listening to the Break the Business Podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. We are happy to be joined by one of our favorite guests to have on the show. Right, Dave? Oh, right. At this point, I think she gets a free sub. Yeah. <laughs> just, um, she's basically gotten co-host status at this point. All the way from Australia, our favorite geek pop singer-songwriter and all-around awesome person, Mary Amber, is here. All right. Mar <laughs> Mary, thanks very much for joining us. No problems. Um, you're... Your latest release that just came out this month is Retro Sherbert, a delightful 15-track album, which is a tribute to all the things that make the 90s great. Uh, the songs reference everything from Tamagotchis to Pokemon to Xena Warrior Princess. Uh, what inspired you to make a 90s tribute album? Well, I actually wrote the album during Form, which is February album writing month. And it's the first time I decided to go ahead and do this. I was quite freaked out about it because the idea is to write an album in a month. And I'm usually very finicky and take quite a while per track. So I thought the only way I'm going to be able to do this is if I have a proper plan put in place. I know exactly what I'm going to be writing about every morning. I wake up and just do it. And so I came up with the 90s theme because it's something that I was interested in. I was born in the 90s and have a very strong connection to both the 90s and 90s music. A lot of my influences in my music are from the 90s. So I thought 90s would work as a thing. Yeah. And it was good because I was able to put out a plan prior to writing any songs or anything. I already had track one will be about broadly the 90s. Track two will be about 
broadly something to do with Tamagotchis. Track three will be about broadly something to do with Minesweeper. And that's how the whole album actually came together. I wrote it in order. Um, every morning I just woke up, look at what I'm going to be, looked at what I'm going to be writing about. I also had what keys everything would be in. So as you may know, if you've got two songs in very awkward keys beside each other, for example, one song's in the key of C and then the next song is in the key of F sharp, it's a very awkward transition. So I also had the keys down and the tempos. So there'd be a variety of tempos. I literally just woke up and went, okay, this is what I'm writing about and wrote it. Uh, without that, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So that's what I came up with as my idea and it, it worked. So, yeah, it sure did. Uh, did you find that constraining yourself to that kind of time deadline of, you know, needing to do it in a month? Did you, did you find that having that deadline, did it make you more productive? Did it make you more creative? It definitely made me more productive. However, I wouldn't, actually recommend it to be honest like I, I definitely managed to get an album out I was very happy it took me about a year afterwards to actually fine-tune the album but uh, one issue with it was that I am as I said before quite finicky and rather than uh, me kind of losing that and just letting go and writing the songs in a shorter period of time, I instead stayed up until 2 or 3 a.m. to make sure that I got things done and kind of sent myself into an insanity at some point. By the end, I went to go see an optometrist and I had a prescription for glasses that I didn't need prior to that. So I, I wouldn't actually recommend doing that if you are my sort of human. Um, if you are very obsessive, I'd probably still give it a bit more time because otherwise you might send yourself insane. Wow. Or learn how to let go. <laughs> that, that, that's commitment, folks. Yeah. That's commitment. Your craft drew you, drove you into blurred vision and nearsightedness. Yeah. That's dedication. <laughs> yeah. Not ideal, though. Uh, it's apparently gone now. The um, optometrist actually said maybe if I stopped staring at the screen for extended periods, periods of time, it would go away. So it did, which is nice. But I'm sure if I kept it up, then it would be an issue. Mm -hmm. So, so next I, album cycle, you'll go right back to having eye problems again. No, no way. Uh, I would definitely spread it out. I mean, there was a lot of other things like for February album writing month because I knew what sort of um, strain it would put on myself. I didn't have many gigs. I think I had two shows or maybe three in the entire month. Um, I didn't rehearse as much for them, which is something I'm not happy about. Um, most people wouldn't know, but you can tell yourself when you're more nervous or you're not feeling as comfortable getting on stage. I didn't actually do my normal instrument practice like normal. Like usually as a musician, you'd practice an hour or two every day on your instruments. I couldn't do that because I was busy songwriting. So there's, there's other reasons why I wouldn't put that much in. I think you can still write an album in a month. You can do all the songwriting, but spread out the production and the fine tuning over some period of time if you have that luxury. So, Mary, you said February based album writing month. Is that something that you created for yourself, or is that something that we don't know about that happens in Australia where <laughs> February is album writing month? That might be an everywhere it, thing. I've never heard of it, but. Uh... It's definitely an everywhere thing. It's um, on the internet, fawm.org. Oh, interesting. Um, there's also record producing month, and I did the two at once, which is why I also did the production for my songs. And that's rpm.com, I believe. Uh, and the two of them are 
both run in February. There's also a 50-90 challenge where you write 50 songs in 90 days. That's run by the same people that run Form. Um, this It's not actually as big in Australia, which is interesting. There's a community of people in Australia that do it online, but I think it's, it's biggest in America. Um, it's good because I was able to interact with other people. This year I did it again, but wrote far fewer songs, kept it a lot more calm and mainly focused on co-writing with other people and enjoying the process. So there's, there's different ways you can do it and get involved with it. Even if you aren't a musician, most of the people I co-wrote with are writers so they write words, they write lyrics, they write poems, and they go on there, they put them up, and then they find musicians like myself. They say, would you be interested in putting this to music? And I go, cool, yes, I like it, I will, and I do. So there was a lot of that going on. Well, that's pretty cool. That's interesting because, Ryan, did you know about that stuff? I didn't. I didn't I'd like to think I keep my ear on the on the ground of a lot of these yeah. things, but i got to do more research yeah. into that because that's cool. Yeah. And, Mary, real quick, if you want to make a sign and put it on the roof real quick that tells the planes to stop flying over, recording <laughs> and process, you know, let them know that Ryan Carella and David Kay are talking to Mary Amber. This is really important stuff, and the commercial flight patterns of Sydney need to be uh, moved. I think she's live from an Air Force base right now. Okay. <laughs> I don't understand why it's so loud. It's genuinely quite quiet here. Oh goodness! <laughs> um, well, what's going on? I'll, I'll tell you, Mary. We love retro Sherbert. We love, you know, just we love how nostalgic it makes us feel when we listen to it. And we're actually really excited to have you on in the next segment because um, you're going to help us choose the coolest thing from the '90s. And we can't think of anyone who's a better authority than you on this, just from all the stuff that you talk about on the retro yeah. Sherbert album. But before we get to that. Uh, we want to take advantage of the time we have with you and uh, have you share even more tips for the indie artists out there. And uh, one of the places that uh, you can really see where Mary runs her career so effectively, Dave, is just by looking at her blog. Mm -hmm. One of the great challenges that indie artists have is just being able to consistently have blog posts, consistently have something to say and something new to tell your fans, even if... You might be at a time in your career when you just don't have as much to talk about or as much going on. Uh, Mary, uh, speaking to somebody who always seems to have something cool to blog about, uh, can you give some tips or maybe tell us a little bit about your process and how you're able to blog so consistently? Yeah, sure. Um, well, thank you for starters for complimenting me on my blog. I do very much enjoy putting my blogs together and putting them up. Um, I guess I blog about most things when I release things I don't just put them on YouTube for example I would put them into a blog and uh, often link to the blog as opposed to linking to my YouTube channel because that way people can still see the video but they can read a little bit of background about it and it's directing people to my website as opposed to YouTube um, which means rather than there being a whole lot of suggested videos by other people on the side they're on my website so it's clear of that clutter and if they decide to click on anything else it won't take them to someone else's cat video it will take them to my music <laughs> my, um, i guess shop page my home page photo page whatever they'd be interested in so i think that's another benefit of pleading people to the blog as opposed to um other websites also i i, I think you can generally get away with just blogging about your music things 
Uh, like, for example, if you've had a media interview, if you've done a photo shoot, if you've got teaser pictures or a teaser video you want to put out prior to an actual video or a teaser snippet of a song you want to put out prior to an actual song release, you can always put them up there. But you can put up other blogs too if you're interested in, like, putting up poetry or your ramblings or musings on things as well. So blogs are pretty free in that regard. I mainly stick to putting up my music and my music-related activities on my blog, but it's really open to, I guess, change. So if I did want to do something else, I could. But you, yeah, you always just seem to find uh, creative, interesting uh, forms of content. You find ways to expand on your content. I remember looking at your blog post, and you had a uh, a video and how you recreated, or you showed your fans how to recreate the look you had on your album cover. You showed them like, you know, what costumes to wear and things like that. And that's just, you know, you taking your existing content and finding new ways to put a spin on it. That one was actually funny because it was recorded while I was making the album cover costume. So when I first did the first part of that video, I wasn't even sure whether the costume would work out. I was kind of speaking to a camera about what I was going to do and going, well, if this all goes to poo, then I'm not going to use this video. But, um, <laughs> it worked out, which was good. But it's, I guess it's one of those things like if you're going to a concert, you can always just ask your partner or your friends or someone there to take a couple of photos and you can put it up on your blog. If you're doing a album shoot, you're going to have lots of leftover images you didn't use and you can always put them into a flippergram or you could put a photo slideshow together or just create edits. Um, there's lots of ways that you can use the content you'd otherwise throw out. Um, that one was just, I guess, behind the scenes in the process. Some things take longer than others and in the breaks you can always do things like film behind-the-scenes snippets. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you've blogged about are blogging your Spotify playlist. You recently did a blog post in which you created a 90s-inspired Spotify playlist in honor of your 90s album, Retro Sherbert. Um, Kevin Bruner, the vice president of the, web, of, uh, the company CD Baby, has said that indie artists should be creating Spotify playlists a lot more as a way to create engagement with fans and to always, you know, have to create new content for your fans to consume easily by using the content of others. Uh, uh, talk about how you use uh, playlists in your career. Okay, well, um, I'm, I'm actually a little bit torn on Spotify, so I'm not entirely sure how I feel about them, to be completely honest. We love um, honesty here. Go for it. So it's either which way with it. I created my first playlists on both Spotify and Audio, and I started by creating geeky music playlists because my genre is geek pop, and this genre does not exist in Australia. It is primarily, filk music is primarily in America and somewhat in Canada. In Australia, I'm the only original geek musician I know. There are computer game cover bands, anime cover bands, but in general, I don't know any others yet. Hopefully more will be taking it up soon. But it was an issue for me kind of letting people know that my genre exists at the very start. Um, of course, I thought I invented the genre, but then I realized there was other people doing it. And I'm like, well, I'm doing a real thing. This is like legit now. And it, people were just like, well, I've never heard of it. So I started putting together these playlists of geek music. And 
geeky music, nerdy music. I put in geek, like rock, nerdcore, filk, all different sorts of stuff. And it was good because I was able to put my music in there too. So if people found geek music, I'd come up as well. But if they found my playlists, but it was also good because I could tell people what genre I'm in. I did it for the Retro Sherbet 90s album. I created a 90s love playlist and I put some of my songs in there too because I realized that people like these playlists. My um, sci-fi music playlist, which I did during the time I released my Doctor Who album, um, was shared around quite a bit and people seemed to really, really enjoy it, which was really wonderful. And I, I think I just saw this pattern of, I guess, it's easy for people to click play on a playlist while they're doing their work and things. It's even easier than reading a blog post or watching a video. Great stuff, Mary. And one of the things that we want to do right now is uh, let the listeners catch a glimpse into the fruits of your labor. We're going to play a song off of Retro Sherbert right now entitled Block Breaker. It's the first single. It has a great music video. Um, right, Dave? Oh, and, absolutely. And you want to check that out at maryamber.com. Takes you back in time, man. True enough. And this is like my favorite game in the world, um, so it has a special place in my heart. But this is Blockbreaker yeah. by Mary Amber here on the Break the Business podcast. Like, what? 
That was Blockbreaker by Mary Amber off her latest album, Retro Sherbert, here on The Break, the business podcast. We love that song, Mary. Nice stuff. Yay! Yep. Let's just hope we make it a chart breaker. <laughs> what? That was funny. Wait, 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 wait. Yes. There it is. Yes, that was the appropriate response. Yeah. I, yeah. Well done, Dave. Thank you. That's why I'm here. <laughs> um you can find out more about Mary Amber by checking out her website, maryamber.com. And I think after hearing a song like that, it gives rise uh, to asking just about your songwriting process. You recently tweeted a uh, photo of a screenshot of your digital audio workstation that just showed a bunch of tracks going on. It looked super crazy, super complicated. Can you tell us a little bit about how you make your music and the different kinds of music you make? Because you have some smaller projects like that you know that seem like they're youtube kind of projects and then you have the more ambitious things like the retro sherbert album yeah um sure so what you saw on my instagram was just me taking a photo of my cubase kind of project at the very start so it wasn't as complicated as it gets it was actually pretty simple and um i think you'll find with most musicians nowadays they have lots and lots of tracks, dozens of tracks as opposed to in the past when they'd have four tracks or eight tracks or something. So um, that that was fun. With my songwriting in general, I'll usually write songs just with a guitar and a book and pen, sometimes on the computer if I can't find paper. But um, that, that would usually be very traditional, just strumming chords and singing things, sometimes on piano. Um, sometimes I'll just have words and a general gist of how I'd want the melody to go, mm -hmm. but that would be pretty normal. Afterwards, I would either record a demo and do this just with guitar and vocals and work with a producer on producing the song, which would mean I would record my demo to a click track so that they can easily line up extra parts in their digital audio um, workstation and they can do the extra production parts in collaboration with me. Uh, or else I would produce the track myself at home. So for the um, production tracks where I work with a producer, they're usually my bigger tracks. Currently my EP was produced um, collaborating with a producer called John Veller, and I've worked with Jula Jorfi, um, who's a Hungarian producer, on a bunch of tracks as well. They would usually be bigger releases, things that I could submit to Pandora or radio, and those would be... Uh, produced and mastered because there's a certain standard that these various um, outlets require before so, they yeah RDO they they want mastered tracks yes okay so that it's it's basically just that when they put your track amongst the other tracks it has to fit that's the real kind of basic of it and um, normally you wouldn't be able to tell what it is but these mastering professionals have technology and gear as well as these producers that have training and experience to create tracks that are able to do that that are able to fit that don't um ever go hot which is too loud and crackle they don't have um inconsistent kind of volumes of course you've got various levels of professionals in those fields as well but in general if you're paying good money and you're working with professional people that have a track record, then it works out well. The problem with it is, of course, it's very expensive, and um, not on top. Uh, not only are you paying for the producer, the engineer, you'd be paying for session musicians to come in. And I was speaking 
prior to the podcast with you guys about how sometimes getting a session musician in is cheaper than playing the parts yourself. So say I play piano and I can call myself a pianist, but I certainly can't say I'm an ex- an exceptionally good pianist. If I was to record the piano part for myself, it might take five or six takes for me to get it just right. And that could take up to like half an hour, maybe longer, depending on how emotional I've decided to get um, during the recording session. Whereas if I get a session musician in, they could do it in 10 minutes. And they might cost more, they might cost, say, $300, but the studio time is often more expensive than the session musician, so you're better off just getting the professional to come in, record a take that's probably better than you'll be able to do because that's what they do day in and day out, and then you won't have to pay for extra studio time, you won't have to feel emotional and have that spill over into the next thing you're doing in your recording session. Wow. So. That's cool. Um, that's a. It, it's interesting to hear how you, you know, you weigh the different costs involved and you know get the most bang for your buck, so to speak. Yeah, that's that's working with a producer. I think any musician can tell you when you're working in that sort of environment with a team of people that it's it's very kind of high pressure and it's very expensive. Um, that's why often you go to record labels and companies so that they can loan you the money so you can afford it. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of a big pressure when you're paying lots of money that you want to get it right. You don't want to show up and have a bad voice day or something and come out with tracks you're not happy with. But nowadays there's also the option of home recording. And I think home recording is this wonderful freedom that's been given to musicians and I didn't always feel this way because there is definitely a barrier to entry and it is a, I guess, extended period of time of studying of your digital audio workstation. There are many out there. There's Cubase, there's Ableton, there's Logic, there's uh, Bitwig. There's there's just a ton of them out there. It doesn't matter which one you choose. Just pick one. I use Cubase. And um, once I learnt at least the basics of it, I was able to start putting tracks out um, that I had produced for myself. And at first they weren't that good. They're still not professional level, but they've still enabled me to put out creative content. And the regular person that's not a music producer can't tell once you've had a certain amount of practice and you've gotten to a certain level. It just sounds good when they put it beside perhaps a mastered version of the same track, they'll be like, oh, that one's obviously more professional. But in general, otherwise they just listen to the track for the song and the story and the sound and enjoy it. So, so home recording's good in that way. <laughs> so admit it. When Do you ever get uh, quizzical emails or looks from producers when they, you know, they spend their all their days, you know, producing, you know, love songs or just like songs about, you know, heartbreak or things like that. And then you come in with like a pile of Doctor Who and Xena Warrior Princess songs and they go, what? It's actually very funny because I am um, mainly currently working with Jula Giorfi, who is a Hungarian producer and doesn't understand a word I'm singing. Oh, that helps. So, <laughs> so he has no idea. And I'll often ask for samples. I tend to send specific sound samples that I want or specific like synths or things that I'll be like I need this here or I want this instrument and he'll be like okay sure I don't understand why but whatever and um so it's actually quite funny because I think he has no idea what I'm singing about and he he doesn't quite understand whether it's um like 
he'd, he'd know vaguely. He knows uh, English. Uh, it wouldn't be quite the same because he's not familiar with the pop culture as much. And um, so he's he's not too disturbed by it. It's just cool. Um, if <laughs> if I was working with an Australian producer, like I worked with John Veller and he knew what I was doing, he was he was down with it and he got it. I think we spent a lot of time playing things like Street Fighter at his place and breaks and things. So <laughs> I think he enjoyed it and it was good for research. Battletoads is another one. I, I didn't play Battletoads. Well, I did a little, but I'm not that good at it. So. Well, that there's that one level in Battletoads that, that nobody's good at. It's just mm. impossible. But now I'm dating myself by even referencing those things. But speaking of 90s references, Mary, we're excited that you have one more segment left in you. And uh, we're going to bring you back and have, uh, and have you decide what the ultimate 90s thing is. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, oh. No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> but we'll be right back to check that out on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Our dear friend, Mary Amber, is here to join us for another segment. Thanks very much, Mary. You're absolutely welcome. Still on the line. All right. Yeah, the line's still working. You can find out more about her music by checking out her website, maryamber.com. Mary, how can they find you on social media? Type Mary Amber into Google, and I come up everywhere. If, If you're on a social media network and you look up my name, I'm probably there. Even the really obscure ones, I'm probably there. And remember, that's Mary spelled M-E-R-I, folks. Oh, M-E-R-I. yeah, it's important. Yes, Amber. Yeah. Yeah. Mary Amber. Cool. All right, so uh, as we uh, told everyone in the previous segment, you have the album out now, Retro Sherbert, a 90s tribute album. It talks about everything uh, from Xena Warrior Princess to Blockbreaker Games to um, uh, Tamagotchi and anything else under the sun. It's a great, nostalgic, fun listen and since, Mary, this album sort of establishes you as an authority on the 90s, we have called upon you in this uh, third segment, which is always kind of the loose, fun pop culture segment, to definitively determine the coolest thing about the 90s, the ultimate 90s thing. Sound good? It sounds wonderful. All right. So the way we're going to do it is we have 16 90s things that we're going to walk through in a single elimination tournament until... Ooh, it sounds like a Royal Rumble there, That's exactly what it is. Oh, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. Mean Gene, these 90s things are going to come into the ring, and only one's going to walk away. That's right. 16 enter, one leave, and uh, Mary's going to let us know which one that is. Wait, that's not the right sound effect. One more time. There it is. There we go. (laughs) Ryan, let's go. Right on. All right. So uh, first bracket, uh, uh, Mary, what's more ultimate 90s, Tamagotchi or bubble tape? First of all, the way you say Tamagotchi is hilarious. What's wrong with the way I say Tamagotchi? (laughs) Tamagotchi. I can't even do it. Um, Well, we could say the way you say Tamagotchi is hilarious, too, you know. How do you say it? Tamagotchi. (laughs) (laughs) Tamagotchi. Um, It's Tamagotchi. That's funny. The way she's saying it sounds so very, like, 
highfalutin high society. It's, it sounds like so, it sounds so lyrical. Yes. The other day I had my Tamagotchi out, and you wouldn't believe what it did. Tamagotchi. <laughs> so tama, Tamagotchi. Uh, Tamagotchi yes. versus bubble tape. Six feet of bubble gum for you, not them. Oh, them? No way. <laughs> I would actually say Tamagotchi would win that round. Oh. Bubble tape is still around now in more varied flavors, whereas Tamagotchis are available on eBay for three dollars. <laughs> so cool. I believe bubble tape kicked on and is still going on, varying its product and diversifying, whereas Tamagotchis are stuck in the nineties. Ah, I remember babysitting my sister's Tamagotchis for her when she was playing softball. I'm pretty sure I have a Tamagotchi that's been dead and is just covered in its own mess you, from like uh, 15 years ago. You didn't clean up the poop fast enough. You oh, let it eat its, its, its own poop. It's oh, a disaster. No. Uh, so moving to the next one, uh, in the realm of video games, Super Nintendo or Sega Genesis? I'm going to go with Sega. Again, Ooh, nice. I agree. I agree. I had a Genesis. Better graphics, yeah. Um, uh, so I, I don't know. I would say um, because my main reasoning would be there was a Sega theme playground, Sega playground, and I wasn't allowed um, video games like that as a kid. But there was a big playground in the middle of Sydney City, and I went there and I played on the playground and learnt the music on piano and things, and so I had more of a connection to that world. So. My partner will not be happy because he would definitely go for Nintendo. Ooh. Wait, when you say playground, do you mean like an arcade? Oh, no, no. Well, there was some arcade element, though I wasn't going into the arcade. It was literally they'd created the characters um, as, I guess, sculptures. And oh. um, it was a little water park so kids could come and, you oh, know, hit down. Cool. Oh, that's cool. Oh, so you can like slide down Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, things like that. Oh, sweet. It was for small kids, um, not adults so it was perfect <laughs> so uh two yeah, things so next one here two things that i was both a fan of and i can't choose between the two of them so i'm glad you're here mary dragon ball z or teenage mutant ninja turtles well i feel this is a little bit unfair because i definitely know more about dragon ball z than teenage mutant ninja turtles i love the ninja element of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I've always wanted to be a ninja. But the teenage and the mutant fan. and the Big turtles, not, not, she's not having it. <laughs> but I'm thinking it's likely to go with Dragon Ball Z purely because that's it was established in the 90s. Um, teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they had a movie in the 80s. They came back. They um, made another movie recently. They've still been around. There's always spoofs of them on the internet. And I, I would say they've remained current and they've kept kind of, I guess, oh, what's, she, what's well, the word I, when they rejig? She got him on a technicality. I was gonna say she got the technicality because, like, for me, I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I really didn't care about Dragon Ball Z at all. But like, ah, damn, she's right. It it is essentially an '80s creation. Yeah, that did last. So, uh, next one up here: Care Bears or Sailor Moon? Hmm. David, big Sailor Moon fan. Different markets with the two. No. I only got half an hour of television a day and I spent that on Pokemon. But Sailor Moon was definitely a thing um, and is still a thing, uh, though I think it's more of a throwback thing. A bit like Tamagotchi's people reference it a lot more. And there's still a lot of really great cosplayers of Sailor Moon around. Hmm. I, I think Care Bears are probably more 90s. Hmm. It's a tough She's one. She's stumped. Yeah, I did like I the Care I'm Bears. Gonna, I think I'm going to go for Care Bears. Care Bears. Yeah. In the upset, Care Bears. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Was there like a mean Care Bear actually part of the group? Was there like a grumpy Care Bear? Do you know what I mean? Like one that had like a sad cloud or something? No, I just thought that there was one that was kind of just like uh, bothered by the whole thing. Well, it, 
about the whole Care Bear thing. Yeah, I uh, think and I'm googling it now. Definitely, there was a grumpy bear. Right. Yeah, which seems to go against the whole idea of a Care Bear. But I guess it's good that you had one to sort of balance the group right. out. You need some it's a, conflict. He cares in a grumpy way. Yeah. That's right. Um, uh, taking us I care to the, about you, but I dislike the fact I care. I hate that I love you so much. Uh, so taking us to the world of toys, Mary, uh, Polly Pocket or Betty Spaghetti? Oh, that's a tough one. So I'll tell you, I was not a Polly Pocket person, but I, I enjoyed its equivalent yeah. Mighty Max. The boy, the boy toy yeah. version, Mighty Max. Oh, I loved Mighty Max. But Betty Spaghetti and Polly Pocket were both part of my childhood. I think Polly Pocket was more creative because of the way it was designed. I think Betty Spaghetti was good because it was, I guess, quirky and fun and you could kind of decapitate a doll and re-put it together in various ways. But, um... Okay, I, I Mary. Like you take apart pieces and you put them back together in different ways. Okay. But, so um, you were getting your serial killer notions <laughs> out then at that young age. Okay. I guess. <laughs> um, uh, it doesn't like, explain then that my favorite toy back then was probably like slime. But um, oh. I would probably go for Polly Pocket just based oh. off the fact that it was a very creative toy. Um, and there were so many different versions. And yeah. I think it was very um, clever design. Something they might not get away with nowadays with the whole children will choke on it and oh, die. That 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 oh, was quite yeah. the choking hazard. The, the small little things, yeah. And also because now it's not it's not a screen, so kids really don't care about it anymore. Oh, that's true. Yeah, uh, we yeah. use our imagination, bro. <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah, man. Kids today, so, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, this is one that you made reference to earlier, and I so I have a feeling it's going to crush its opponent. But Pokemon or Furby, Mary Amber. I'm sorry, Furby. You have no chance. Oh, <laughs> she's no. gonna she's gonna decapitate the Furby. <laughs> Furbies were creepy, man. I I could they never were creepy toys. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, I mean, like I guess they were going for cute, but creepy surely won out. I mean, the wiggling <laughs> eyes yeah. because it was the closest thing to AI. But like, it was a creepy looking thing. Oh yeah, no, those, those <laughs> eyes were dead. Did your yeah. Furby ever like wake you up in the middle of the night? Because like I, I would just be sleeping and all of a sudden it would just start talking out of nowhere. It was really weird. <laughs> what would it say? It's like spill the blood of the innocent, right? Yeah. <laughs> Your one was probably possessed, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> might be wrong there. Well, I, I think that was part of the charm. It's like one out of every ten Furbies was uh, possessed by a demon, and you know. I think it said so on the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so now the next one here, and we're almost done with the first uh, the first bracket here: uh, Spice mm-hmm. Girls or Power Rangers. Spice Girls. <laughs> Spice. Oh. See, so here's, here's yeah. the flaw, right? I think part of this falls along the boy-girl line. Because in yeah. that equation, I choose Power Rangers. Well, not me. Spice up your life, man. What? <laughs> really? <laughs> no, I, I loved Power Rangers. But dude, all up. the colors of the world are already in the Power Rangers. No, uh-huh, it's fair. Yeah, yeah, but the Spice Girls are better, that's all. Uh, but the Spice Girls didn't have Zords um, <laughs> to go into. See. Um, so, like, well, there's that. Well, I mean... I assume the Spice Girl. I mean, Spice Girls were were a British band, but were were they like huge in Australia as well in the nineties? They were huge everywhere. Yeah, I they're a worldwide sensation. <laughs> I remember dancing around to it as a kid. So, all right, wh- wh- who was your favorite Spice Girl? <laughs> oh, Jeepers! It's going back. I think I probably liked Baby Spice. 
But um, that was probably just because she was the funnest and cutesiest looking of the lot. Um, yeah, my favourite band was still Bewitched. I would choose Bewitched over Spice Girls. Um, oh. So just putting that out there, adding that in. But, um, <laughs> as, a, yeah. as a write-in vote for Bewitched, I, I remember Bewitched, the official band of every middle school dance we ever had. Yep. Um, so next one here, My Little Pony or Pogs. And uh, Mary was nice enough to inform us that in Australia, these are known as Tazos. Yes, but the Tazos. Here, here they're Pogs. You were a Pog man. Yeah, I was a big, I was a big Pog person. And it's funny. Part of me goes like, "Why are they called Tazos? Like that sounds crazy." But then also I'm like, "Well, wait a minute. Why are they called Pogs? That's, fair. That's also crazy. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Pog Tazo. It's a little circular thing of cardboard. Yeah. And people. Yeah, I think that was a Maybe that was different. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, I would go Tazos just because I have memories of Tazos. I wasn't as big into My Little Pony. Um, when I was a kid, I liked toy trains, so I was more into that. But um, I have no idea how that has anything to do with ponies. But I've got <laughs> the, op- the opposite of my little ponies. Tips and friends that love my yeah. little pony. So yeah, I would I would go with Tazos because I have a personal connection to them, and because I think they are definitely more '90s as well. My Little Pony is still kicking on, and I would actually say My Little Pony's kind of peak is coming around more now than back then it's it, the best is yet to come for it because there's been more and more created for my little pony and that universe and made it and it's it's made it a lot more i guess rich and people are able to connect with it more there's trading cards now there's yeah. a whole ton of stuff that didn't so, exist in the past there was a documentary made about it, i think like last year two years ago bronies oh right well yeah. I, I noticed dave with mary amber's rating system here it seems that if you're a 90s thing that's done some stuff outside of the decade. Mary penalizes you. Well, you're looking. <laughs> you know, you got to stay in your decade. Money. Yeah, it's like make your <laughs> money then, and then go out of business. Think <laughs> for the best '90s thing. It's it's just you know I think the best '90s thing is not something that's going to be the best now thing. That's fair. No, and, and we're, we're not one to question your judgment here. You're the authority. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got eight left. Only eight remain, Dave. This is where it gets we exciting. We got eight left, me and Gene. Who's going to escape this pit? <laughs> WrestleMania. <laughs> Actually, WrestleMania could be... Well, that, that was before we were in the 80s, but for me, anyway, my wrestling... Uh, point was in the 90s oh that's yeah that's when i think we all grew up with it so now it's going to get tougher because now you really got to choose between some stuff you love here mary so first up uh, i'm gonna see if i can pronounce this the way you like tama or tamagotchi tamagotchi versus sega genesis oh jeepers yeah you're choosing between your children here this is gonna get tough I really was attached to my fake Tamagotchi, but it wasn't a real Tamagotchi. It was an imitation. So I, I don't know whether I am a proper judge of the actual Tamagotchi. Whoa, I'm gonna go whoa, with whoa. No real Tamagotchi, right? I think we just got to disconnect the line and get rid of it. Oh. Not even a real Tamagotchi. <laughs> Tamagotchi. So, so you're going with Sega there? Yes. Wow. I mean, that makes sense. You actually have the ability to do more things on a Sega Genesis. Than, That's true. Yeah. Um, all right, on so the <laughs> on the playground, that's right. Oh yeah. yeah. See, see the fond memories of the character park for her, I think are influencing her yes. judgment a lot. Um, Dragon Ball Z or Care Bears? Dragon Ball Z. Oh, see, I, I, I think that one might be the odds on favorite going forward here. It has a special place in our nineties fans heart. 
Um, mm. Polly Pocket or Pokemon? Pokemon. Oh, oh see. I think we're heading for a uh, Dragon Ball Z Pokemon yeah. final battle here. Well, it all depends on how you have the bracket. Actually, Mary, which version did you have, red or blue? Or the silver um, or gold? I didn't have the games. So I watched the TV show. I had half an hour of TV a day. I had half an hour of uh, computer games a week, but I didn't have a memory card. So I only played the first level of Spyro about 100 times. First level of Spock. Uh, not Spock. Croc about a hundred times, and oh, that's right. most of what I got on my PlayStation first generation. And then I kind of gave up on computer games when I was a kid because half an hour a week doesn't get you very far in the game, especially if you don't have a memory card. I was just about to say, like you've heard of save points, right? You don't have to start from the beginning. Um, oh, but I give you no memory card. There you go. Um, man. man, oh man, your parents were strict. Yeah. But, yeah, but but, look, but I played a lot of music as a kid, and a lot of kids didn't get that, so yeah. I genuinely can't complain. I had a lot and, of amazing experiences my parents gave me. They would actually take me to the park to play. They would take me to the Sega park to play, and I'd be outside making friends as an only child. That's probably a good thing. But how is socializing or making music as a young age? How does that do? I mean, what has that brought you now? <laughs> I mean, like, do you really actually ever use those skills or anything? Wouldn't you have rather been stuck in front of a TV mindlessly being a zombie? I, I really, I, I don't get, I, I don't know. I think that was, that was a bad call. Bad, bad choices. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure if your parents could go back, they would have just, you know, stuck you and, you know, let you play yeah. video games all you wanted. She's being too creative and using her brain. We got to stop this. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Spice Girls or Pog slash Tazos? Hmm. It's a tougher one. Yeah. Spice Girls. Wow. Spice Girls. I had a feeling that was coming. You know, we got an exciting final four here. Maybe we should uh, get, the, get the music back going again here for our final four. Yeah, you had it and then you abandoned it. Well, because, you know, this, it only lasts for so long. All right, go. Um, here we go. Final four. Sega Genesis, Mary Amber versus Dragon Ball Z. Uh -oh. Who you got? Sega. I think Sega will win that one. Yes. Whoa. Nice choice. Good choice. I would have won. I thought. I, I, I thought for sure she was going to go with Dragon Ball Z there. Wow. Um, next round in the final four: Pokemon versus the Spice Girls. Well, that one's obviously going to be Pokemon. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, Pokemon! So now, Ryan, is this the is this the championship right it. here? This is it. Okay, final Mary. Two. It's the fate of the universe is in your hands of the '90s. For, forever shall be defined by your choice. Right here, right now, on the Break the Business podcast. No one expected that this sort of thing would be that this momentous occasion would happen right here. Sega Genesis or Pokemon for the win, Mary. Ah, okay. I have to give this proper thought because this is going down in history as the result for Absolutely. all time. Absolutely. Um, Take all the well, time you need. This is important. Talk it out. Talk I, it out. It's been a little bit unfair that I haven't given Pokemon the same kind of treatment as all the other things because Pokemon has definitely continued kicking on beyond the 90s. So I think that that's a consideration because as much as I'd love to just go, Pokemon, actually, when I think about it, how is that then fair to My Little Pony? Because we've got the same thing here. Pokemon's still oh. releasing games and they're still at large and big and taking over the world. I've still got Pokemon Monopoly bought it not long ago. So, hmm. Well, be before Seeker you make your final decision here, Mary, we just want to say we are so impressed and honored by the level of responsibility that you've taken to this. <laughs> uh, we know we've entrusted this to the right person. Oh, yeah. It's a big deal here. Big deal. Yeah. 
Hmm. So again, we got Sega Genesis on one side and Pokemon on the other for the ultimate 90s thing. I mean, essentially, we have boiled down to Sega versus Nintendo. <laughs> in, in a matter I, of speaking, yes. Yeah. It's like Nintendo had two entries in this tournament. Yeah, <laughs> It's true. But I think with um, Pokemon, I, I don't view it as a game. I view it as a TV show and a culture and going with my mom to watch the Pokemon movie and speaking with my friends, believing Absolutely that I could speak Pikachu fluent and that there was no question that that's what I was speaking rather than just random sounds. And I mean, that's something really special and important about the 90s and about childhood then. Whereas Sega, I never played the games. So there's a technicality there as well in the sense that my experience of Sega was very much the kind of outward experience that less people would have. I didn't play the games. I just played the music and played well on a playground and knew the characters. And that that's my experience of Sega. If I'm looking at the two of them, I do think I'm going to give it to Sega in the end, though. Oh. Because Pokemon is kicked on, and it's not fair that that technicality doesn't apply to Pokemon, even if Pokemon is the best thing ever. Um, Sega, I think, will win this one. Wow, a wow. big win for Sega. So Sega Genesis is the 90s, and you know I agree, because that's when I had my Sega Genesis, and I don't think I played Sega Genesis outside of the 90s. In fact, I know I didn't play Sega Genesis outside of the 90s. In fact, I kind of stopped playing Sega Genesis when I got my N64. That's right. But it, <laughs> it, it, it's true. It, it's self-contained in the 90s. It was a big deal in the 90s. Um, it changed video games in a lot of ways. There were a lot of great titles on it. I think that's a solid choice, Dave. I, very solid. Yeah. Um, yes. Well done, Mary. Thank you so much for uh, helping us sort through that, helping us find the ultimate 90s thing, Sega Genesis. And, and if you, the listener, want to hear more about some more awesome 90s things, you can check out Mary Amber's album, Retro Sherbert, available everywhere. Um, and, 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 and if you're a listener and you're thinking, well, I don't even know anything about the 90s because I was born after 1999. I was born in 2000 and beyond. My, what I'm going to say to you is shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or or if you want to be less mean, say what better way to get find out about the '90s than to go through 15 awesome oh, Mary Amber okay, tracks? Yes, that's true. That's okay. Yes, <laughs> buy Mary Amber, Amber stuff, but also shut up and stop being so young. All right. <laughs> Are you just jealous of the youth? Is that what's happening? Yes. Here? Yes. <laughs> you really want to be 16 again? Really? No. Uh, okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> Pimples. I mean, 24. I liked. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Um, all the best with everything you got going on. Please don't be a stranger. And thank you for uh, putting up with our silliness these two segments. <laughs> thank you for having me on. It's been amazing. And thank you all for listening to the Break the Business Podcast. Give it a rest, Lauren. Lauren.